from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Pushcart Prize winning author, Mississippi State University Creative Writing Program co-director and, for the purposes of Columbus, Ohio, Ohio State University alum, Michael Cardos has a new literary suspense thriller out called Bluff, and I'm very happy to be talking to him today. Welcome, Michael Cardos, to Craft. Thank you, Doug, very much. All right, so you went to the Ohio State University, and this is where I assume in your latest book uh, that discusses a lot about magic, where all the magic came from. Oh, all the magic. You just look back on your time here and say, complete magic time, I should write a book that really just bows to the Ohio State University, nods to it, (laughs) and says, so tell me about your your latest book, Bluff, and Natalie Webb. Yeah, um, it's a book... It's a magic book and a poker book and a con artist book kind of all mixed together. And the main character is Natalie. She's a 27-year-old magician who kind of peaked when she was about 17, winning an international close-up sleight-of-hand competition. And then it's been kind of a, a slow slide since then. So what got you into magic? I understand that you do some magic as well. Yeah, that might be the wrong tense. It might be did, but when okay. I was a little kid, I was really into it. I'm I'm the age when uh, David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. I forget what year Mm -hmm. it was, maybe 1982 or something. It blew my mind and freaked me out. (laughs) I mean, come on, it's really, it's supposed to be amazing. But if you're the right age, it's really scary. I just thought it was super cool. And when I was, gosh, in seventh or eighth grade, I started doing it. I had a teacher in school who happened to go from restaurant to restaurant doing table hopping magic, you know, close-up magic. And oh, right, just, right. Oh. So, yeah, so he started a little magic club after school, and a couple of us did that. And I just kind of stayed in it for a while. And then I, I did it a lot more in high school, and it was better doing little parties than it was working something for minimum wage. So, mm-hmm. And actually, for two summers in high school, I worked on the boardwalk in New Jersey doing magic shows and i thought i was getting away with murder because they were paying me a dollar more than minimum wage minimum wage at the time was yeah, yeah i know it was 335 an hour and they were paying me i think 450 and it was like i didn't even want to tell anyone because i thought i would jinx it and, and at the and same I, time you were just sleight of hand taking wallets to yeah, make ends meet completely that, that's the con artist part of this that would have paid better than 450 <laughs> an hour anyway so I, you know eventually i, I, I stopped do, uh, doing it but uh, other than like my nephew's birthday parties and stuff, but I, I've always been interested in it, and and also just interested in the books, the you know the the magic books where you know these secrets get revealed, and you're so excited to see the revelation, and really it's just the revelation is like spend the next thousand hours practicing this sleight of hand move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of wanted to write a magic story for a long time. This this idea was percolating percolating for a while, and then finally it kind of came into being. So tell me about the main character, Natalie Webb, who, as you said, is started out really well being sort of a prodigy and then things didn't go well for her. How did this character get created for you? What led to the idea of this person? I kind of knew the age and for the longest time, I didn't know if the main character would be male or female. And uh, in my original, original conception, like years ago, I was thinking it was a guy and then it started seeming more interesting to make the main character a woman, partly because the world of magic and the world of poker too are such like male dominated areas. It's just a lot of dudes, you know? And so I thought making 
<laughs> making the main character someone who, it's not only that there's fewer women, but they're not treated that well. I thought it would be just an interesting world for her to navigate through and mm-hmm. potentially a lot more fraught with with peril you know, and just or just uncomfortableness than if it were a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny when you consider that women, I think, in general, have better hand dexterity. For some reason, I've always heard this or I believe that I've heard this. It's probably fake news. But you'd think that that would lend itself to having more uh, women in magic. Is it just the attitude of the people there that is sort of against or what's your take on that? I don't have a great take on it other than uh, in a way it might be a little bit of like who gets into magic when they're kids. And I think it's a lot of kids who want to find some group that they can be a part of. And the best thing about being in a group is who you get to exclude. And it becomes like, you know, it's called the magic fraternity. And I think that that sort of conveys something. As far as hand coordination, I think what was interesting too is that because she is a woman, her hands are a little smaller maybe than some than, than a guy. And so that I think having the size of the hands actually comes up a little bit throughout the novel of you know, can right. you do this particular palm or this particular move given that you know given your hand size. Although one of the people that she's studying with, Ellen, <laughs> has even smaller hands. Yes, she's she's, she, she remarks she's actually on. yeah she's actually petite, so she has to do different kinds of moves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell me about writing different kinds of genres as you're preparing to write this book. I understand that you wrote a chapter book for your five-year-old, and this <laughs> had an impact on writing your book. It kind of did. When my Well, he's, he's no longer five. He's a couple of years older. But when he was five, I really was desperate for him to play by himself for a while. So I, so I, <laughs> I was like, listen, man, if you can play by yourself for 20 minutes, I'll write you a chapter of something. And he did that. And, and so for a couple of weeks, you know, I would quickly dash out a chapter of something and, and, uh, while he played and he, he didn't realize I was writing it. He'd be like, can you print it now? I say, no, no, it's not printing it that's the hard part. It's writing it. Mm -hmm. He thought I was just printing chapters. But anyway, what I realized, though, working on that for this five-year-old was just a little bit more about kind of keeping his attention. Five-year-olds are not forgiving audiences. And after having written a couple of novels already, it was really fascinating to just write for a five-year-old who forgives nothing. I don't know. That's I feel like that bled over a little bit into this novel, and it was it was kind of fun to think about. Maybe the spontaneity of it, or the the, the quickness of it, or just I don't know. You, I think five-year-olds or kids in general want to be um, astounded, right? They want this sense of awe and this sense of wonder. That's obviously what you go to a magic show for too, right? You go for this. You don't go to be fooled. You go to kind of immerse yourself in a sense of wonder which of course is what we pick up novels for also so there's this, all this overlap that i think was a little bit crystallized when i was writing something for a kid so when you were writing for him did you like you said you were writing that needed to have a sense of wonder and then that bled over i think you're you're saying into some of your other writing so now you're maybe looking for more of that in your own writing where you say i want this to be something that has this sense of um, astonishment or amazement that comes out of it is that something that is conscious now i think that's right and i don't mean by that that i'm putting like actual magical things into it and what's funny is when i was working on this book you know i talked to a lot of poker players and i talked to a few magicians and my one big magician helper source guru was like i'll only help you if you promise not to make the magic real (laughs) because 
his pet peeve was that every book about every novel or movie about magic, ultimately at some point it becomes real. I had no intention of doing that anyway, but so I don't really mean wonder in that sense, but just in this sort of, you just want to be awed in some way or, or just filled with something that, that immerses you and transports you away from yourself sitting there holding a book. When you have that in mind, who are some of the people that you look at and say, this is somebody who, you know, transports me because of the wonder that's in their writing or uh, the the surprises? Well, you know, one person who comes to mind is partly in my mind because we're having him here to Mississippi State in two weeks, Jess Walter. And Jess Walter is an interesting writer, too, because he started off his first couple novels are definitely sort of crime genre-ish novels and then they get more expansive the more he writes and he won the the edgar award but he also his most his big book that everybody knows is beautiful ruins and that's that novel sure did that for me i mean i thought that was a novel i just couldn't get enough of mm-hmm. so what are you working on now that this is coming out bluff is coming out in in a, not too long and you know there's always something else in the hopper yeah i've been trying to write an art museum heist and my idea was the biggest art museum theft ever and I already I know how it gets done that part I figured out years ago like 10 years ago and on my hard drive like I every time I finish a book I go back to this art museum heist novel and then I work on it for a while and then I and then I put it away and something else takes hold but I, I am somewhat determined asterisk to sit down and really try to get this together in some way because it's it's i think i in my mind it could be it could be good and interesting and you know but that's that's what i'm working on like this morning that's what i was beating my head against the computer on you know i don't know which idea i like more the idea of you going to an art gallery and saying so in terms of theft what if (laughs) for some reason the the curators won't return my emails (laughs) or or the idea um that you know you take your computer in to get serviced and they say by the way we've noticed on your hard drive yeah you've got schematics of all the museums it's so funny you say that because i keep thinking about interviewing museum directors and museum curators and how (laughs) i can sort of steer the conversation to their security without them getting a little uncomfortable Um, that would be a, a fantastic magic trick if you can make that happen, because I, I will look for, you know, <clears throat> your your blotter sheet or whatever that is now online where you'll, you'll be able to be, get your mug shot, you know, yeah. man arrested contemplating robbery. That's um, right. But, but, That's my um, defense. My defense is I wasn't stealing this i was just seeing if i could steal this it would be wonderful to find out how many writers have actually gotten into trouble going out and researching for their books (laughs) i had a very very brief time in my 20s when I, i was going to be a fiction writer it lasted maybe 15 minutes and i remember going to a coffee shop at like one o'clock burrowing my brow, looking at a piece of paper and saying, I need to, to bleed to make this work. And that's when I realized that this wasn't the life for me. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm always of two minds. I mean, research is so interesting in a way. For, like, I'm not somebody who feels like I need to research like crazy before starting writing the actual prose of the story. Because I find that if I do too much research ahead of time, I, I don't have a story. I just have a bunch of research. I, I feel like the more... I write, the more the more books I do, the more I start writing away from the things I happen to know about. A certain amount, you know, 
certainly like the first novel, which was all about music and musicians and recording studios, The Three Day Affair is something that I just didn't really have to research a lot because I knew it all. With the magic and the poker, it, I had a, you know, a little bit of familiarity with this one, but I, I had to do a lot of research. I've been to museums, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, my starting place is further back, so I need to do more research, but I don't want to get bogged down in it at the same time. It's kind of a dance. Right, yeah. Although, you know, that also gives you some ideas about the novel after that. It, you just look for the things like, I really want to learn rock climbing. No, or, that's right. It's, this yeah. makes me wonder why I, I keep having to, I, you know, I have friends who are like, oh, I'm traveling to Paris to research my novel. I'm like, really? Because I'm going back to New Jersey. <laughs> I, I need to pick different locations or different, you're right. No disrespect to Bruce Springsteen uh, <laughs> or you, but Jersey is not the place that I would necessarily, you know, set a novel if I were looking to do some cool traveling. But no one sets them in Ohio either, so I've got no defense. Well, Michael Cardos, I thank you very much for talking to me today, and we look forward to your latest book, Bluff, which will be out April 3rd. And That's I'll right. And links to your website and to places that you can buy it on my website, crafttheshow.com. Wonderful. Doug, thank you so much. Thank you. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative.